0: Welcome to The Penis Project podcast, connecting men through science, stories, solutions, but most of all, through support. This podcast was founded by myself and Dr. Joe Milios, a physiotherapist. To find out more about us, check out our website, thepenisproject.org. I'm Melissa Hadley Barrett, sexologist and nurse practitioner specialising in men's intimate health. Join me as I break down the barriers surrounding men's health and have candid conversations about everything you've always wanted to know, but were too embarrassed to ask. This podcast is dedicated to stories from men who have bravely recognised the importance of sharing their experiences, breaking down stigmas and having no filter chats about sexual health, cancer treatment and recovery, relationships and everything else in between. If you know someone who you think would benefit from this information, please share so we can help more people. We would also love it if you'd follow the podcast and give us a review. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today, we're speaking to Malcolm. Now, I'm excited to speak to Malcolm because he has had the whole journey. He's had his prostate removed by surgery. He's having radiation and he's about to go on a new trial, which we're going to talk about for a new drug that doesn't lower your testosterone. Uh, So I'm really excited and it's good because we don't get many guys on here that have radiation, and so it's I know when we've talked in our consults, Malcolm, that you know I'm kind of really impressed with how you've gone through this, and I feel like radiation treatment gets a bit of a bad rap because in the past it it was less targeted, but nowadays it's a lot more targeted and things have improved a lot. So I'm hoping that today's story will really put some other guys at at ease that has may have to have radiation in the future or you know and that they won't feel quite so worried about that so welcome
1: yeah hi Melissa thank you
0: so for anyone listening as well if the sound's not great today it's because we're on zoom and I apologize for that it's just the best we can do with zoom so Malcolm tell us about how it all started first tell us how old you are and and also I think it's relevant that you've got quite a young family still and all those things
1: yeah, look, I'm in my early sixties, and um, I'm uh, I have uh, teenage kids still, just a couple of them, and uh, and so that's a bit odd. So that's my my second family. So I've sort of gone round the track twice, which uh, I have to say this time's uh, fantastic. Um, but I'm very mm-hmm. aware that my kids are impacted by all of this as well, and I'm trying to. Uh, manage myself as as well as I can, so that they are not impacted any more than is than is obviously necessary.
0: Yeah, my husband calls it when you go second time round, mergers and acquisitions.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I, <laughs> I, I I won't tell you how many kids I have, but I have a few, and I always tell people it's uh, over two heifers. So <laughs>
0: yeah, I think I like mergers and acquisitions. It's a bit nicer <laughs> to the female.
1: Yeah, oh well. <laughs>
0: So when were you diagnosed with
1: prostate cancer? Um, look, it must be uh, January two and a bit years ago now was when my, uh, well, my diagnosis a bit after that. I've, I've been having routine PSA tests now since my mid-40s and I'm in my early 60s. Uh, and so there was a baseline was established and then that baseline doubled uh, in my January uh, annual checkup. I used to do it before Christmas but I moved it to after Christmas because I just didn't want to know my cholesterol was bad just before Christmas uh just to leave <laughs> it till January and deal with it then um and so yeah that that, that doubled went from low twos into the mid fours and I got uh, handed over to uh, a specialist which was um Matt Brown and uh that was Following a biopsy and the usual rigmarole, uh, the diagnosis was about April, I think, in 2021. And then that moved on to uh, surgery in September 21.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've got. And I think the first time I met you was just before surgery.
1: Yes, that sounds about right from memory. Yep. Yep. Yep,
0: yep that's right. And then I booked you in for a post-op follow-up because you live in the country, so I saw you again at two weeks post-op.
1: Yeah, it's because I had to stay in, um, I stayed at Crawford Lodge in the city because you've got to stay locally for two weeks after the surgery. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when we first met, you know, obviously sexual function and getting your continence back was important. And you know, yes. you're a young, early sixty-year-old, and you've got a young family, so these things were really important to you.
1: Yes, yeah, and uh, the the getting my continence back was was quite a, a road. Um, I think uh, I think it was Matt that described the recovery from the surgery as a marathon, not a sprint. And he was absolutely right, um, and I've I've had the best support I think you could have. I've had a, a specialist physiotherapist for the incontinence, and, uh, based in my local town, and she was excellent. Um, I pretty much did what she said all the way through, and I persisted, uh, and here I am at this point. That that's probably. Uh, that's continued to, resolve, to to improve right up until today, and it's it's pretty close to resolved in the last couple of months. Whilst I've been going through the radiation treatment, which surprised me because everybody said, "Oh no, you, you know that'll that was sort of almost done," and then they went, "Oh, but when you have radiation, that'll be affected. It'll at least plateau, or it might get a bit worse." Well, it's actually gone the other way. Um, uh, and I haven't really talked about that yet, but, yes, I have had uh, 33 sessions of, of radiation, the first 30 targeted to the lymph nodes either side of the prostate bed and the last three on the prostate bed. Um, and that oh, I stepped up my – I've got random now. I stepped up my exercise program in anticipation of that treatment because everybody told me that I would get worse. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to get on the front foot with this and uh, and increase the amount of um, exercises that i'm doing and somewhere in that two to three months of additional exercise including eight were uh, seven weeks of radiation treatment my incontinence has almost entirely resolved in fact very close i'm, I'm just not game to say it's completely gone because i don't want to jinx myself but I, I think i'm pretty i know well
0: and i was really surprised about this when i spoke to you last week or the week before so let's just go back from your surgery how yep. long after your surgery were you aware that your psa wasn't going to go down and you were going to have to have further treatment or were you aware that that might be an option might be the case pre um
1: look i, I was told before the surgery that uh, the expectation that the PSA would drop to a lower level. I know that I had um, 90% nerve sparing during the surgery because it was robotic surgery. And I was quite pleased about that because means, that means that your chance of getting erectile function back are as good as they're going to be with that surgery. But that also comes with the very slight risk that that perhaps some of the cells that have been retained might be cancerous and and if I've got the medical part right, and I'm, I'm not a medical person, so I could be wrong, but if some of the cells escaped either during surgery or had already escaped prior to surgery, then there was a slight possibility that my PSA levels might start to rise up. Now, they stabilised for about, uh, memory, I think it was about four months after surgery, one of the tests started to rise. It went from a really low base of 0.0 something uh, up by yeah. to 0.0 almost something. Um, and I, then I had to wait for six months for it to get to point two before whatever, whatever, wherever the mass was in my body was big enough to be easily found under the, uh, under the PET, PSMA scans. So that, that six-month yeah. wait was, um, that was a very long wait.
0: Yeah, it would have been. And because you had quite a high Gleason score as well, and we won't say what it was because we don't want other people with the same Gleason score to panic, but it was quite high so you were at yeah. a higher risk straight after surgery knowing that you might then have to have to go and have a bit of radiation to mop all this up yes. um and i think that if anything anyone listening probably the big thing i'd like to get on today is that you know prostate cancer when treated and followed up and looked after can be just a chronic illness like diabetes rather than a death sentence and i think you're a perfect example of that. Like you had it out, it needed mopping up and you're going through that motion now. Um, But you look great, you know, and I know, and we're going to talk about how you felt, but, you know, you are on the road to recovery and this is probably going to be a lifelong battle that you're going to fight, but there's no reason why you can't have a good quality of life whilst you do it. Yeah, uh, and I think that
1: way back at the beginning uh, of this whole thing, um, I'm used to being in control of my world, and this has been a real shock to me to not be in control of this. And I came to the conclusion that pretty much the only thing I could control was my response to things, my, my own behaviour. Uh, and I'm not an easy person to, to control the behaviour of, um, and I don't think I've got it right all the time. There's certainly a couple of moments I look back and go, "Oh, yeah, you could have done better with that. Uh, but i've really tried to focus on managing what i can manage and that's pretty much just myself i can't really manage how the disease travels or what what, you know what treatment i have i get to choose the treatment to some extent but uh, i only get to choose from what's on on what's available and and what the experts are telling me i need i I don't understand the medical stuff well enough to form my own opinion outside of the advice i'm given
0: no that's right and and you're a scientist as well, so, you know, you're quite an analytical person and and so I imagine that there's been a lot of thought process going into all of this for you.
1: Yeah, look, I, I've had to try and shift my mindset because I've dealt with a lot of research stuff as well in, in the science environment. I'm very used to dealing with statistics and and I can remember thinking at the start, Um, I'm pretty sure the stat I was given was that 85% of patients who have the surgery don't need any follow-up treatment or thereabouts. So I had the surgery and then after the surgery, I was thinking to myself, well, I'm either in the 85% or I'm in the 15% that need more treatment. I wonder which group I'm in. And for four months, I thought I was in the 85% and then suddenly I was in the 15%. And then with that long sort of six-month wait, waiting for the next round of of sort of medical intervention to actually start doing something to to uh, beat the cancer down rather than letting it grow um i became somewhat fixated on what about that of the 15 percent, there must be a small percentage who who don't respond to the next lot of treatment and the next lot and the next lot and this ends up with quite a sad outcome and uh, Hmm. i've really had to put a lot of effort into shifting how I look at this and just shifting away from looking at the stats altogether and just looking. uh, I I talk about being in the moment. I'm crap at being in the moment. I really am. But just trying to make the most out of every day because uh, I guess somewhere along the line I came to the conclusion that if my days are limited, then the best revenge I can get on the world is to make everyone as good as possible. And so it then doesn't matter if your days are limited. If you're going to try and make today a good day, then, you know, your life's work is achieved. Um, yeah. I did hear um, Tim Minchin talking today, and I'm misrepresenting him on uh, uh, YouTube, the talk that he did at a UWA um, graduation ceremony recently where his, his aim was effectively to say, whoever said life needs to have meaning and we need to have goals, what a lot of rubbish that is. And so whilst I don't agree with that entirely, and that wasn't quite how he presented the talk, that was just one of the taglines he threw out at the front to get people's attention. But really, my goals have become much more short-term now. They're about today, not about 10 and 20 years' time into the future.
0: So when you finally did have this scan and you knew where it was, where was it?
1: Yeah, so it's turned out to be in the um, lymph nodes either side of the, what they now refer to as the prostate bed, so where the prostate was. Uh, But the first scan showed uh, a very slight shadow on my neck. Uh, on one side. And so we repeated that scan a couple of weeks later and and um, the onco- my oncologist said that because that had come up again as a very, very weak signal, given that these scans are incredibly sensitive, and he said it's it's showing the same or less than the previous scan. So whatever same is there isn't, isn't growing. And so he said we, we're just going to mm. ignore that at the moment because it might not even be cancer. It might just be apparently you can get some... False signals from some other parts of your body, uh, and so uh, look. I trust him. Um, it's not growing, so we're not we're not dealing with that right now. If we have to deal with that later, we will.
0: So then you chose to have the radiation, and the radiation. I I remember I said to you at the beginning when we talked about this that you know your erectile function had been getting better as you would expect after the surgery with a ninety percent. Um, yep. nerve sparing surgery and you'd been doing the rehabilitation yep. program and because you're a scientist and you follow the rules, you were doing everything perfectly. Okay. Um well, and I know nearly. and you'd start using tools. <laughs> you were doing everything as you should be. And I remember you were doing well and you were on target to get back to normal in that two year period. And yep. then when you said you were going to have radiation, I was like, Look bit of a Debbie Downer, wasn't I? I was like, look, it's all probably going to stop getting better now and go downhill and you're probably going to be on injections forever now and better to just accept that. Yeah. But you would have surprised me because things have continued to get better and it's the same with your continents. That usually gets a bit worse too, but they've both got better. And I think that's a real eye-opener for me because it makes me realise how Radiation is coming a long way, and they are much more targeted now, and it's not such a big area. And yeah, so so talk about that. Talk about your yeah. how you felt having the radiation. And yeah,
1: look, I I was because I again I sort of try and mop up information from everybody that'll that'll tell me what's going to happen, and and you were clearly one of those people. Uh, and I I had sort of focused on you know maybe implant surgery down the track creating erections again for me as the the probable future. And I was trying to get my head in the space of just accepting that that was going to be my future. And I probably had to some extent, Mm. which has sort of taken the pressure off. Uh, I guess the one thing that I've done, or the two things that I've done, one is to increase the pelvic floor exercise routine. I actually doubled it, and I do it on a treadmill now, so it's very, very measured. That's, again, the scientist in me. And I've managed to keep that up exactly the same every day for probably six weeks to two months before the radiation. And then every day during the seven weeks of the radiation, I've done that first thing. Plus, I, I created a little sort of three-hour or so preparation um, system for myself prior to the radiation treatment because I knew that the radiation was being directed towards the lymph nodes either side of the prostate bed. And so that was hopefully going to be less damaging than on the prostate bed, which which didn't show um, anything significant on my on my scans, but uh, Professor Lim said we, we need to do a little bit there at least. But I put a lot of effort into trying to organise for my... Typically, your bladder has to be full and your bowel has to be out, absolutely empty to put all your innards in exactly the right place so that the radiation hits the target areas and minimises its impact on the non-target areas. And so, again... What can I control? I can get up at five o'clock, have a drink, get on the treadmill for half an hour, have breakfast, have a shower, and then an hour before you go in, an hour and fifteen minutes before you go in, you have a wee, empty your bowels totally, and then you drink your four hundred odd mils of water, and an hour later you're on the slab getting getting done. And so, apart from my very first morning where I had a slight hiccup and had to have a drink of water and then go back again, the other thirty three episodes, my bladder was sort of sitting up around seven to nine out of ten. They give you a score. I love I love my therapists. They were brilliant, nice young folks. And uh, you know, every day I'd come in and they go, What do you think you are now? And I would give them a score out of ten. And I was kind of within one. Uh certainly by the end of it, I, I had it absolutely worked out. Um and they seemed to think so this that is was something the, a bit what
0: different. you were giving for your bladder full. Yes. Is this, yeah, great yeah, yeah they, give you,
1: they give you a so they scan you before they before they do the radiation treatment. they have to scan you to make sure your bladder is full enough and that your bowel is empty enough. and they give you a score out of 10. And if your scores below five, then they won't treat you because there's too much risk to your bladder and, and whatever and you have to go and drink water. So that happened on day one. but after that I was I was above five mostly of sort of a, a seven or eight or a nine um and they they said that was really unusual and uh, one of them was reflecting last week on the fact that i was only a, a week or so from the end and they couldn't remember having given me the wiggles treatment yet uh because if you if you get out of queue then it causes problems for them and and your punishment for that is they make you listen to the wiggles while you have your treatment so i avoided the wiggles right right from the start to the finish they were sort of kind to me on my first day when i got it wrong And I didn't get it wrong again, so that was kind of nice. But I I don't know whether spending so much effort trying to get that right has helped with the continuance of my um, sort of erectile function or whether that's irrelevant. I really don't know. But that's something that I did put a lot of effort into.
0: Well, I think there's two things there. I think one, it probably does help because you're right. If your bladder's empty and your bow uh, sorry, your bladder's full and your bow's empty. Then you're going to improve the effectiveness and the less damage of the radiation. So I think you're right there. But I think most importantly, it actually gives you as the patient a bit of control and agency over yourself, doesn't it? You know, like
1: yeah. Look, it it was it was exhausting. I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, all I've done for the last seven weeks. I worked for the first few weeks, and then I then I stopped working. I'm really glad I did because I'm. I talked to some other guys at a support group just uh, last week who'd been through this and they said, yeah, you come home, you've been to the hospital, you've you've had your drink and you sit down and you're stuffed and you just don't want to get up and move for the rest of the day. It's it's surprising how exhausting it is given there's not a visible mark on my body and I'm not in significant pain. It's a bit uncomfortable, but it's not like post-surgery. It's not, it's not that sort of um, uncomfortable mm-hmm. stroke pain at all. Um, but you kind of got to get yourself up and move around a bit. But but doing that half hour first thing in the morning, that's when I felt best, straight out of bed. I wasn't sore. I was as energetic as I was going to be for the rest of the day. And, and there is a fair bit of literature saying that maintaining an exercise level during that treatment is a good thing. So I was just absolutely hell-bent on doing that.
0: Yeah, well, there is. I mean, exercise is medicine. And I think Joe and I interviewed um, Rob Newton, who does a lot of research into exercise and how much that benefits people with prostate cancer for their longevity, their treatment regimes and their mental health. So I think you're 100% right. And I think the biggest thing in any illness is feeling like you don't have any control. And what you've done is give yourself some control.
1: Yeah, and 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 as you recall, uh, Melissa, I think I saw you about uh, six weeks before I started the radiation treatment or thereabouts when I was in that phase of, of, of oh, my goodness, something might be happening in your neck, which was, uh, um, you know, surprise. What the hell does that mean? Mm. Uh, I sort of hit the wall then, and uh, I remember you took one look at me and I hadn't seen you face-to-face for a while, and you kind of went, what's going on? You don't look. You don't look happy. You don't look good. Yeah. And 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 anyway, we decided to start me on that um, antidepressant, which uh, which was really good. It, it didn't make a lot of difference, but my wife says I've started sleeping a lot better. So, uh, and I think well, I've stayed on it yeah, so, so far. On... Yeah, and and it did it did improve my sleep patterns. I, I think it's still. Look, um, sort of looking back on it, it's sort of something you to look at over a period of a couple of months and go, well, what's the long term average? And yeah, long term there has been a, a, a change in the pattern of of sleep that I've had, uh, and I'm planning to stay on that now for another another couple of months until the next phase of my treatment is finished, and then I'll then I'll pull off and see how I go.
0: Medication started was um aglamegatine, and it's a very good antidepressant because it's You don't need to withdraw off it. When you stop, you can just stop. And the best thing about it is that it definitely improves sleep and it doesn't have a negative effect on sexual function. And so um, the brand name for it is Valdoxin, but the generic is aglamegatine. And I just think I often prescribe it because it has the benefits of an antidepressant and this sleep. Assistance without the negatives that the traditional SSRIs we know of, such as weight gain, you have to withdraw off it, and sexual dysfunction. So I think, you know, and often when I prescribe that for men, they will say the same as you, which is, Oh, I haven't really noticed a difference, but I can notice a difference in the way they are when they're interacting with me. And often their partners will say, No, they are better. They're sleeping better and they seem a little bit calmer. So I think it just, helps take the edge off and and I think that's really important because night time's the worst time you wake up and worry about what what might happen
1: yeah yeah absolutely you just wake up in the middle of the night and and um did I worry I don't think so but I just couldn't get back to sleep and so then that cascades into the next day and so you don't have a good day the next day so so I I think that's been uh really helpful for me I've I've never taken antidepressants before i been through a lot in my life but i've never actually got to a point where i felt that was um necessary uh, but i'm quite glad that i did so the next step for me because um typically uh, discussed with uh, professor Lim, that we would ordinarily do the radiation treatment and then i would have started on some type of uh, long-term or mid-term hormone treatment uh, but he has found an alternate for me in a in a drug trial of a new lutetium-based drug. Which lutetium is a transition metal for all of these who are scientific, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's radioactive transition metal. And it's somehow attached to those fancy drugs that find the prostate prostate antigen uh, on the outside of the cell in your body, and attached to that. And because it's alpha radiation, it it kills off the flesh within about a millimetre of it or so. So it's useful for very sort of individual cells and very small clusters of cells, but probably not particularly useful for larger larger tumours would be my guess. But again, I'm not the medical person. But yeah, so I, I've got a, a, a couple of injections of that coming, I hope, in September uh, this year, I've still got to pass the final uh, physical before they uh, finally accept me into that, which is in the next couple of weeks time, but I've already done a preliminary physical and that's been all okay. So I'm quite optimistic that I will avoid the downside of the hormone treatments in the in the mid to longer term. And, and hopefully this new treatment turns out to be the bee's knees that it appears to be and will sort me out um, for good.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to interview, hopefully, so anyone listening, one of the researchers in that lutetium trial soon, so we'll have a follow-up. And then also, it'd be great, Malcolm, if after you've had those shots, maybe in six months' time, we could revisit and find out how you went with that and what the side effects were like, because we know what the side effects of testosterone lowering treatment are. They work great to get rid of, um, to control prostate cancer, but the side effects aren't really good. So it will be great if we can Mel to like come back and chat to you about that again.
1: Yeah, look that that would be great. Um, as I say, I'm I'm really hoping that I, uh, as you say, my 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 Gleason score was a bit on the high side and it was all a bit of a bit of a scare at first. And um, I, I remember Matt saying that I wasn't a lights and sirens case, but I was only one step below it. So. Um, that got my attention because all I had was numbers on a bit of paper I haven't actually had any symptoms yet um, of you know urinary flow interruption or, or any of those it was just caught through routine surveillance so uh, I'm still waiting to have symptoms of prostate cancer I, I don't think I ever will I ever will well at least I hope I never will um, the treatment's been uh, pretty rugged at times but again you've got to look at it as a marathon it's it's a long process uh and i guess uh, i'll be coming out the other end of it in a few months time i hope and i'm not sure if i'm going to be the same person as i was two years ago at the end of it i don't think that's bad but well i'd be
0: surprised if you were because no it's a big change
1: yeah it it is and it's really it really has made me question um particularly the sort of job that i have is quite a, a busy job with lots of worry about other people's problems, and I'm just not quite sure I'm up for that anymore. But we'll see how that unfolds.
0: Mm. So you you were telling me when we were chatting before that you feel like a teenager again, almost that you've got to like reevaluate where you're going in life now.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's uh, and it's not just this week. I think that has started much earlier this year i have just sort of, since the cancer's re-emerged and I've, and I've known that I've got to have the radiation treatment and then there's this sort of uncertain tale after that of dot, 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 what happens next? And I'm only a few years away from retirement and it's just, it's really been um, on my mind about what, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I think this is probably mm-hmm. absolutely normal for any cancer sufferer, uh, but I've certainly spent a lot of time thinking about that in the last few months, and I can see that change is coming. But I I think one of the best bits of advice I got uh, from uh, one of the social workers who works in this space was don't let the cancer make the decision for you. Wait till you've got in a position where the cancer is stable or in remission, and then make the decision for yourself at that point. And I think I'm probably, or hopefully I'm going to be lucky enough to be in that space later this year, uh, and then then I'll make the decision based on how I feel then.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very good advice, you know. Don't make the decision when you're in the middle of, of the war. Wait until afterwards to decide what you're going to do next.
1: Yeah, it's a funny old war because I'd sit around on the backside mostly and, and read books or or talk to people. So, yes. It, it is. It is. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of sit around and, and wait with this. Uh, not not what I'm I'm used to, you know, yeah. organising the tactics and, and just getting out the news
0: with your family. Like, how has your partner and your children dealt with this? Because it's a big thing to see their vibrant, energetic father have to go through this. How's that been for them?
1: Oh, look, you'd probably have to ask them. I, I think they they. It's very clear to me that um, it has impacted on them. Uh, particularly, my my dear wife has been an absolute rock in all of this, um, to the extent that you know, recently she's sort of barred me from driving and a couple of things because I wasn't looking really all that robust for a few days. And, and I just looked at her and oh, you're not my mum, and she would no, but you're not you're not going to hurt yourself right now. So there, there's very clear signs that they are sort of grouping around me if you like and my sister's involved as well and even my dad who's, who's got some limited capacity it's very clear that he's trying to take the pressure off of me at the moment um they seem to be having a relatively normal life but when i look closely i can see that they're also working around me uh and trying to put me first at the moment uh, even more than i do myself which I, I find a little bit awkward but uh look i've just had to I've just had to go with it. There is nothing else I can do at the moment. The, the The sense of helplessness is really frustrating. I just want to get up and clean the house and go and do the shopping and, you know, cook a decent meal for the family. But I just haven't got the strength.
0: Yeah, I think it makes us aware. Illness makes us aware of like our vulnerabilities, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, very much, very much so. And I, I'm used to being, I'm used to being the one that's standing up when everybody else falls down. And and, and I, I don't like this very much, but I've I, it's forced me to reconcile the reality of, of where I am, and, I, and I'm still smiling, so I guess that's okay.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing this with us because, you know, as I say, you often hear just pretty crappy stories really about people that have been through radiation and everything else, and like, I think, you know, you've got to this point and physically you've done pretty well, you've coped with the mental anguish of it all. And, you know, onward and upward. And it's going to be really exciting to see how this new trial that you're on goes. And I mean, that's going to be life changing for a lot of men if if it works how they think it does. So I really appreciate you talking to us today. And we'd love to speak to you again in maybe six months time and see how it's all gone. Was there anything else we haven't mentioned that you'd like to add?
1: Mm. that's a good question um i think that that the last topic that you hinted on there was really about the impact on my family and my friends um i have a good friend who's going through a, not a cancer issue but a, a separate medical issue that's impacting on his continents at the moment and that's been uh that's been really um really nice to be able to because I've sort of blazed the way for him and he's he's been listening to me now for two years and now his turn has come and he's going, Crikey's, you, know? <laughs> you know, I've listened to you about how frustrating this incontinence thing is to deal with. Now I'm having to deal with it myself and oh my goodness, the you know, the words just don't, the words now have meaning for him. And so uh, I think my advice to people would be, um, look, reach out. There are support groups out there. There are people for support. It actually took me until... Um, about March, April this year before I actually started reaching out actively to find the support that has been there for me um, since before I had the surgery last year, but I I just decided that I could cope and I'd be fine because that's what blokes do, Um, and then this year I I hit the wall and I discovered that I wasn't fine. So, uh, yeah, don't wait till you hit the wall to reach out. Uh, Not everything that's out there is for you, but there are People who know what they're doing and there are people that have had similar experiences that are happy to talk to you and help you along the way, Um, take advantage of it.
0: That's a great thing to end on. So thank you so much, Mel, for chatting to us today. And, yeah, I'll look forward to, well, I'll chat to you before in the next six months, but I'll look forward to interviewing you again in six months' time. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As a thank you for being a part of our podcast community, I have an exclusive subscriber offer for you. If you would like assistance with your sexual health and you'd like to work with me, then please head over to www.melissahadleybarrett.com forward slash programs and use the code TPP5 at the checkout. Here you will find everything you need to know to be on the path to penile perfection. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Penis Project. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could leave a review and subscribe for regular updates. Your support plays a big role in spreading awareness and helping more men to access this information. The more followers we have, the more podcast platforms that recommend our show to others. This might be just the place where your friend, brother, neighbour with lingering questions finally discovers the answers. Stay connected with me on social media and join the Melissa Hadley Barrett email list for news about upcoming podcast episodes, blogs and lots more. If you have a personal story that you'd like to share or you're a health professional working in this field, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or a listener with specific topics you'd like us to cover, please send me an email at admin at melissahadleybarrett.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Penis Project podcast community and until next time, take care.